0: Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide, and we have a very special episode going on here. We got a three-way happening. (laughs) It is a three-way. It is a three-way. We have a three-way going on. We have Jacob Bynum from Rifles Only here. We have Chris Way from Riflecraft here. We have a really in-depth question that was asked of Jacob for all three of us, so we're going to get into the weeds in this very specific question. Jacob's going to read it because it is a lot and so we're going to jump into this and we'll play around later after but for now we're going to get into the question and just do it
1: Roger that man thanks for having me Frank I really appreciate it turned out that it just this email specifically was directed towards three people and three people that live in different states and we all happen to be in the same room at the same time so I thought (laughs) thought that was pretty good says all right what makes a marksman what is a marksman I've had to make several long distance drive li- drives recently and I've listened to the past everyday sniper, rifles only, and straight dope podcasts. While it is educational to track how we got to where we are now, I try to pull useful information from much of it. I shoot 22 long rifle mainly due to local ranges, ranges that are reasonable within reasonable distance, three hours or so, and relatively small. I can fairly easily get to ranges to 300 and 400 and 1 to 500 and 1 to 1600-ish. I think he's referring to center fire stuff there. He's a pushing the 22 long rifle out to 500 is, as you all know, a distinct challenge. I'm not claiming to be some sort of super slick secret squirrel type of shooter, but I am tr- seriously trying to get better. My current goal is 95% hits on steel. This is about 0.6 to 500. Blah blah. I'm going to skip some of that anyway. Being mobility challenged. Most of my competitive shooting is bench oriented, but I'm working on some NRL 22 adaptive stuff. Trying to, I'm going to try PRS rimfire-type matches and will gladly accept an an eventual match DQ for not being able to follow the course description, I guess because of the mobility issues. Y'all put out good information in your podcast, but it all seems to be focused on centerfire at 1,500 yards. I listen and I attempt to scale the information, but there's a very large difference between 7 mils and 30 mils. My real question is, can you include drills or suggestions on how someone can progress if they don't have access to longer ranges within your podcast? I'm encouraged by Chris's airgun plans because I think they will be directly applicable and want to come down to RO for one of the rimfire classes, but I would like some direction before I get there. Thank you.
0: Nice. That's yeah. like a lot of questions. It's a lot of questions. Yeah. Yeah, so, so
1: um and I, I think the overriding thing, Frank, uh, and and Chris is in in the like the it, it's it's titled, What is a Marksman? Right. So we're going through here with what we're doing with 22s and everything else. But what I'm, I think the question is, is because I'm shooting 22 and because I'm mobility challenged, so I'm working mainly on bench rest stuff, can I still say I'm defined as a
0: Marksman? Yeah, I mean, if you're living within your mobility issues, I mean, so if you can command the area with what you see, and you're able to adapt to any challenge you have rifle-wise within your limits, then you're a marksman. Just because you can't run a mile and then shoot something doesn't mean you're not a marksman. I would say that being able to execute you know, through various positions with different platforms and things like that makes you more of a marksman than just saying, well, I'm a bench shooter because I have mobility issues. To me, that's that just happens to be your discipline. Right. And that would be like saying an F-class guy is not a marksman because he doesn't get off his belly, right? You know, so right. I don't have any issues with somebody who has limitations or anything like that. Um, especially if they're stretching themselves out and growing from a marksmanship standpoint, you're growing your your shooting abilities, and and you're you're not sitting back and going, "Well, I can't do that."
1: Right. You, well, if we dig day, way deep and and. It, I can't. I can't remember if it was in a book. It wasn't a book, and it was a uh, point of impact. Mm-hmm. And they were chasing this Russian sniper. He was going to kill somebody. I can barely remember. It's been forever since I read that book. But it was a Russian guy who was in a wheelchair, and they actually had to put him in his FFP to make mm-hmm. some sort of stupid ass long shot. So yeah, I think if. Um, you got a guy who's sitting in a wheelchair who only has control of half of his body, and you take a bullet to your head from him at 1,800
0: meters. He's a fucking marksman, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he's maximizing his skill. He can yep. exercise his brain, and yep. he can do that, and as long as he has that ability to press the trigger. I think so.
1: I think I think it has more to do with mindset than, you know, saying, okay, well, all right, I'm wearing body armor, and I've got a— you know, I got a Glock, you know, and a drop leg holster and extra right. magazines. And, you know, I've got night vision on my helmet and all that other stuff. And, you know, I did this class and did this class and did this class. I mean, well, okay, that's fine. But then, you know, you see those guys out there too, like here in Colorado, uh, even in Texas that are shooting prairie dogs, man. They go up and they've got these benches that are on swivels so they can just wipe out prairie dogs yeah. in every direction. And so what are you doing there? I mean, you're 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 hunting in a way, but you're basically learning your skills. I think shooting prairie dogs what made me – kind of get good with reading wind because oh, you, can, you can go in every direction. And so, man, I mean, all right, we're shooting a, a Coke, a coke can-sized object, you know, at 800 yards with a two two three. Okay, yep, you're a marksman.
0: Well, in, in to, to segue on that, I have a, a student from Alaska. His name is Lonnie. He'd been to gun sight mm-hmm. with Jeff Cooper. Mm-hmm. Lonnie's 83 years old. Mm-hmm. He came down here last year and shot ELR with me. Mm-hmm. Lonnie can't get prone. Yeah. So we have like there's like a ramp. It was a platform that got destroyed in the wind and it makes this sort of six foot ramp. I put it on the four wheeler mm-hmm. on the bed. And it's the same like the Polaris like yep, you have yeah, yeah, yeah. put it on the bed that became his bench. Right. We drove him in the four-wheeler and got him the 2,400 yards. Yeah, He didn't have to do nothing but sit in the four-wheeler. We put the rifle on the bench. He stood behind it. And we have a method, and you probably heard us if you listen to our podcast, for shooting off a bench standing up like it's prone, like a car hood. Same thing. Right. Yep. And he was able to impact that 2,400. Okay. So here's an 83-year-old guy who can't go prone, this is a bucket list, like a legit bucket list for him. You know, hey, I don't know how many more sun you know, sunrises I have. I yeah. wanna go shoot ELR. Right. So yeah, we I totally can see that and Lonnie Lonnie took my class ten years ago mm-hmm. with a three hundred rum. Okay. And didn't flinch.
1: The old Ultra Mag Did not flinch. <laughs> I flinched when you said it.
0: Yes. I, I, he he let me shoot one round it knocked yeah. me three feet.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, there's not a lot to you, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Lonnie's like one of those last of the hard men. Yeah. Was a sheriff in a backwoods of Alaska. Yeah. Like I said, in his really, you know, um, has chased marksmanship his entire life. Yeah. So, you know, like Jacob said, it's mindset. Yep. What do you got, Chris?
2: I'm gonna jump in, and we're gonna straight dopify my question here. Back, he just to you wrote guys. two pages. Yeah, <laughs> I want to. Yeah, because we all have our own styles and yeah, systems. I sure, for sure. I, for sure. I, I don't. I don't disagree. I mean, you, you guys can't say what you guys say any better, so I'm not gonna repeat any of that. I agree completely. What I want to do is say, "What is a marksman?" Mm-hmm. and. Some of the stuff listed in the email, um, hit percentage, being able to move around, being able to shoot small targets, I consider those standards and variables for games, for specific outlets. So if somebody says, I want to shoot two MOA targets 95% of the time, that's a game because that's not a F-class stand, like that's not interest mm-hmm. that that's that's a game that's an right? arbitrary that sounds standard. right that kind of sounds like prs for lack of, you know mm-hmm. and being on the spot so i think you need to separate standards and game criteria from the art of shooting which is marksmanship right so yep. i want to define or separate what are marksmanship variables and and to me just to kind of lead you guys to to, to to saying more is um, what carries across all the games, what carries across all rifle systems that are shared by all or most, maybe not all of them, that if somebody does those well, you go, wow, they know what they're doing because they're meeting that maybe the standards of what they're doing. What are those shared characteristics? Because if I hear marksmen, I think that they've, Ma- they've maximized the capabilities and expectations of the test that they're performing. Mm-hmm. Right. If, 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 um, yeah,
0: execute on command. Yeah.
2: If, if, if you've got a big gun and we're shooting a mile, it's going to perform different than a little gun shooting at a mile. Mm-hmm. That's not marksmanship. That's capabilities of rifle systems, but you could take each of those platforms and say, okay, let's make a, let's, create a scenario that demonstrates that using the system in its designed application is meeting those marksmanship capabilities. Because if you take a 22 and shoot it at 25 yards and measure the group, it's going to be different than taking a center fire at 25 yards and me- measuring the group. Um, so stripping it all back to what is a marksman, my hunch, is that it's fundamentals or people that that aren't fundamentalists it's a it's a process of using your equipment it's not
0: it's almost a mindset can, in a way. can i yeah it's like how, you know, where's your head
2: yeah cuz mm-hmm. cuz i've done a lot of different types of competitions you guys have done a lot of types of using rifles in all sorts of uh situations each of those has different expectations and outlets The ability to do those diverse things means that you're demonstrating marksmanship across a lot of platforms. And if people can't do that, I think you can demonstrate marksmanship off of a bench. But what is it that you're looking for? So if somebody comes to your class and you have them put a rifle on a bench, what do they have to do right to demonstrate that they're doing it right? (laughs)
0: We, I look at, I mean, we do it because we put people on benches a lot. We have special purpose built benches in Alaska. And in fact, they just made them down here in Nebraska and he's making some for me to bring out to Fort Morgan. We do these square benches rectangle and we don't do the cutouts, Mm -hmm. you know, and then we have a bar up front for your bipod that you can adjust that bar and that's your recoil management. So we're looking at recoil management with these guys and we're seeing how does the rifle recoil and it's the same thing we look at off a tripod or in the prone. We're looking sort of in that user space and I want to see for me how that rifle is recoiling in that shooter's um you know arms there and in the movement of it. Do I think it moves straight or do I think it moves sort of wango? And I want to clean up the wango, even if it's on a bench. I want that straight line recoil so you're not rebuilding the position every shot.
1: Agreed. There's, you know, there's a thing that goes on whenever I'm, I have a class with students. And when I'm doing a civilian cor- course, I'll have some really, really good shooters, and then I have some people who actually came and got a gun from me to shoot for the class. Mm -hmm. And so this happens all the time. In fact, we've we've got, you know, two house guns now for that. And it's like what you're talking about, Frank, when you're watching somebody shoot, it's like, you can tell that they know what they're doing is because like from the time before recoil through recoil and after recoil, there's very little movement at all, you know, and it's, it's coming straight back to the rear and you can tell that, that person stayed engaged with that gun. And the way I describe it is um, if you're in a parking lot and you see a speed bump, so you're driving 10 miles an hour, you slow down to five miles an hour, you go over the speed bump, and then you speed back up to 10 miles an hour. Well, the speed bump is the act of the rifle doing its job, Mm -hmm. you know, firing and, and the recoil. But whenever you take it to the driving analogy, when, while you're going over the speed bump, you don't just let go of the car, right? You know what I mean. It's like you 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 pay more close attention to it because you don't want you don't want to scrape the bottom. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You don't. You, it's like you pay more and attention. You don't want to it.
0: whip the wheel when you get that little loopy, you right? Know, exactly, that, that exactly.
1: Down. So you're you're still driving your car over the speed bump, but that's why you kind of got to see. Whenever you're shooting the rifle, it should look like that, and it's kind of even when we did uh, a handgun class not long ago, and so. It was a, a certain group of people and we did a handgun class and then we gave them a qualification. And then part of the contract was they're going to come back for training two months later, two months later, and two months later. And I gave them lessons to work with when they're at home. And so whenever they showed up for the first class, you know, it was, you know, the, 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 the way they handled the weapon, their weapons handling skills, you know, even, even like the, the loading, just the just the admin load and everything else and checking their magazines to see how many rounds are in there, you know, doing a, a, a attack reload there before a drill, you know what I mean? And you could tell that they had really been practicing because it was like, they were always aware of where that pistol was, Mm -hmm. you know, what condition it was in. And whenever they shot it, it's like, they were, they were like, I I don't want to say leaning into it because their drills were were actually shooting off the ground, but it's like you could tell that them having that pistol in their hand was the same as if they had a ballpoint pen, you know, writing out their Well, and I just did it,
0: uh, even the uh, May Classic cameo, exactly Mm -hmm. what you're saying. So there'll be a new shooter. You have different levels of shooters. Yep. And you got that day one guy. He's got the skills, but you're always waiting an extra minute for him to take the shot. Mm -hmm. And he is not sure. Well, I will tell him, I'm like, dude, you don't know your controls. You need your manual of arms. You need to know that bolt is here. I'm running the bolt this way. My Mm -hmm. scope is here. So they're not confident behind the rifle. Right. There's, a, there's a, a loss of confidence. And it's like, you know, with me, I kind of bring it back to the drills in boot camp. Mm-hmm. That manual of arm drills. And that's how you learn your rifle. Then you take it apart at night and clean it and do all the things you do. And race people with it. But you don't see people learning their rifle that way unless you tell them. I, I, I've had probably... Three in the last six months, it was like you need to learn your rifle. Yeah, because you you, yeah. you you can execute, but it takes you three minutes to execute when it takes everybody else thirty seconds. Right, and even with Chris yesterday, we were out at the range, and I was showing him targets. It's that fidget, mm-hmm. right? And the fidget's the hardest thing to fix with certain people, and it's your it's your multiple group. You got three touching, and then two touching, but they're not touching together. Right you fidgeted, you moved and you're like one, two, I I don't feel comfortable. You adjust and then you go one, two, three, that was better. And so you've changed your MPA, you've changed all that stuff. And so it's really hard for someone without a mentor, without a coach, without somebody standing over them to see you fidget.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I get that too. You know, the, in fact, I
1: just did one the other day, a guy said, he sent me a video of him shooting. He'd taken a class with mm-hmm. me before. And at the end of the class, I always put up, all right here's my phone number. Yeah. You know, text me anytime, you know, if you got a question. And looking at it, and it was just like the from where he was whenever he first came in to where he is now. I mean, I was having to look at his form and just really nitpick the shit out of it. Because you could tell he had gained knowledge yep. of the controls of the gun and how to, how to get through recoil without that changing the mindset. And you see that, too, all the time. All man. the time. Yeah, you
0: see
2: that with a, that. What do you got, Chris? Here. You're Three. scribbling furiously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, I, I think that the the mental part is huge. And if I'm going to look at a shooter and I'm going to think about them as an individual with goals completely different than mine, how do you help them? I think of their shooting as these concentric circles. So like if if you're listening to this, put a dime on a piece of paper and draw a circle and then put a nickel over that and draw a circle around it and then a silver dollar and then put a coffee cup down and another circle. I think of that dime as your system capability, right? If a rifle can shoot to a certain spec, you hear people say, well, this isn't a good rifle. It's a whatever it is that may or may not be the case for their example but but the rifle is capable of a certain level of performance and i think that's pretty small and then as soon as a human touches it
0: it Mm. adds error right Right. so the
2: shooter adds error to a system but there is a system capability ultimately and then the bullets that are going into it so that the nickel circle is is um I, i think of it as external ballistics okay like you know the the You're ammo in, you right. might Your be able to get win the whole. better ammo and depending on now now this is dependent on how far are you shooting which is something we're going to get to but if we're shooting center fires at 100 yards and, and i love center fire at 100 yards on paper sd isn't a big deal for me Mm-mm. right speed isn't a big deal for me because it hasn't gotten to that point where it's being tested but if we're doing it at 800 yards it does matter. So, so, so that is a variable circle, but it's going to add error, and then you've got environmentals again. At a hundred yards, at a center fire is probably not going to be a big deal, but a rim fire it might. So, but that's going to grow bigger, and then you have the coffee cup circle, which is all the stuff we do to add error to the system, which is where fundamentals play a role in that. If I think of somebody as a master, mm-hmm. it's as close to those smaller rings as possible, right? And and the de- the difference from the edge of the coffee cup, you know, the shooter error, and um, depending on how far you're shooting, the system, the cl- the closer it gets, the closer it's saying, they know what they're doing, they've mastered those fundamentals, and most of us are adding error, and, and the variables that bring that down, are individual, right? right? Because somebody might target panic and flinch and fidget, and that's that's why they're shooting four inches even though their rifle might be a half-inch gun. Well, what's going to get better? Getting your half-inch gun to a quarter-inch gun or bringing that four-inch circle
1: to a half-inch circle
2: to a half-inch circle mm-hmm. you got a lot of fundamentals to work on you got a lot of psychological things to work on i Dude, think you that, need to do this in video because for the most part seeing what he's drawing down here yeah, and it's, yeah it's, it's well, he amazing. always draws too it's amazing thing.
0: i can like look behind there there's there's all chris's notes I, yeah. so like thousands
2: of people that submit rifle craft targets the average is about three and a half inches well if i was going to make a wild guess
0: you mean, you have data for people who've submitted. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're collecting data over time, You're collecting data. But what that
2: says to me is that there's a lot of shooter error because yeah. rifles are better than that. Yeah. And, and I mean, you might have, I, I just don't see it like factory. We go to, we could go spend 600 bucks at Cabela's and we can get a rifle that is going to shoot less than an inch. That doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot. Right. And so being able to say like, look at my three hole, you know, my three shot, one whole group. It's like, yeah, but I bet you, you know, you shoot 12 shots from four different positions. Right. I bet it's going to be about three inches yeah. unless yeah. you have, you've started to master these things and you can't master those things without eyes and experience to say, let's do this with fewer rounds, cheaper and more effective. And when you understand that, then, then worry about it. So it goes back to, you know, what is a marksman to me? It's that external ring because all that other stuff you can buy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, or you could spend your whole life developing that load that goes from, you know, 0. 0.3 to 0. 0.25. Wow. On a three inch circle, you're not going to be able to say, oh, there's the one that's 0. 0.25 less. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, well, fuck. But, but, but God, it's the hardest to work on the shooter. Yeah. Right. And what is it? Is it trigger? Is it fidgeting? Is yeah. it breath? Is it recoil management? Is it follow through? is it knowing what magnification or how to adjust your parallax or is it, 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 yes right yeah. it, it, it's individual and that's why you have to have somebody's eyes or the mindset of i want to work these variables so what are the variables that you see that you know i think again like you put it on a bench it's the same story the shooter's adding error and if and if and if your error is so close to your system capability you're a marksman if that circle's bigger, you got work to do. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, and so, what do you look for? You guys, you guys have mentioned recoil management, and and I just wrote down stress or mental because, because um, Frank, you guys said confidence, manual of arms, uh, learning the rifle system. That's largely the, the wh- mental side. What's used, what's we've proven head. that
0: a dozen times over. Mm-hmm. Just the mental things, even the distraction of content creation. We'll make mistakes we would never make normally because we're worried about the camera. We're thinking about placement and setup where if we were just pull up to the range, flop down, shoot the 800-yard target, our pulse or nothing would ever change. It would, you know, if I'm running a 61, it would be you know 61 and a quarter, and I'm getting ready to shoot, and that target get hit, and I go, okay, good, I hit it. But now it's adding all these things in that even students add in. Are people looking at me? Why is the instructor telling me this? All these mental things that come into play—that's where the distraction comes in, and that's where we see a lot of the errors. are mental errors.
2: I think that, um, maybe this is jumping ahead, but but maybe not. Like if I grab a semi-auto 308, I can shoot it pretty well at 600 yards to it's pretty close to the system capabilities. When I grab. If 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 six, five six hundred yards with a semi-auto three oh eight is like shooting a a twenty two at hundred, I start to notice a difference. And then when we grab the air rifles, mm-hmm. I notice it even more. And to me, that says, okay, my fundamentals are being covered up, and I'm I'm sloppy. I just don't see it at at the center fire distances. But the rim fire and then the air rifle are exploiting some of those fundamentals that are easy to cover up. Kind of like you know if I'm gonna shoot from a barricade off a bag, if I have a 30-pound rifle, I can be sloppier than if I have a twelve pound rifle because of the weight of the rifle. Um I have been personally thinking a lot about trigger press and because of that we've been shooting pistol, thinking about you can't be sloppy with trigger press with a pistol. You see it immediately. You can't be sloppy with the air gun with the trigger press and then the twenty two but but you you've been doing a lot with twenty twos also Jacob and I want to break down trigger press because I, I think that people have different ideas and different explanations of trigger press. I think it's a, you could probably write a book on trigger because it's not just, Oh, just, you know, pull it back and hold it to the rear. Like, it, that's, that,
0: well, yeah. it's all the variations. Now the, the weight changes and everything have almost changed how you have to approach it because you'll get a guy who's a tapper and he's, and he's super successful. And it's like your triggers four ounces, dude. Yeah. Of course, In yeah. your gun weighs 25 pounds. Mm-hmm. Of course, you don't see a follow-through issue. Mm-hmm. You know? But it's there. Mm-hmm. With yeah, the air rifle. How could, how could would they be if they actually follow through? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Even with that light trigger. Well, it's, it's a musical instrument. We've right. talked about that. You're right. playing a horn. If I'm trying to do a note and I'm moving. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it, it's kind of like whenever... And Chris, you're so right about trigger. You know, because I think You know, I get these new shooters in and it's like the... You just tapping the trigger, failure to follow through and everything else. And then, you know, we've always, you know, advocated the 90-degree trigger press. But if you go in and you just Google bones of the hand, all right, so the one, like the, the distal phalanx, is between the distal joint, which is the last joint on your index finger, and the tip. That's the distal phalanx. So the trigger goes in the center of that. But then the act of actually moving the trigger comes from the proximal joint, which is like the middle joint. Which enables us to actually come straight back on that trigger. I even shoot handgun like that. You know what I mean? I even shoot handgun with that. But when I see people use the distal joint to pull the trigger, then I know automatically they came back into the right. Mm-hmm. Well, no wonder you're hopping to the left. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's that's I mean, you're not getting straight behind it, we'll see all this other stuff. We'll see, you know, these different things. Yeah.
0: Dancing that, on the shoe. Dude, dance, yeah. dance on the shoe like crazy. Well,
1: one of the things that I noticed, I had one student kept jumping to the left, kept jumping to the left, kept jumping to the left. I'm sitting there and watching, it's just freaking straight. I mean, absolute ideal hand, finger, press position, following through and still doing it. So then I explored how, whenever you're holding that rifle into your shoulder pocket, do you feel like you're holding it back at six o'clock? Well, yes, I do. I said, well, hold it back at seven o'clock. So he did that. Rifle stopped jumping, took all his ammunition away from him and said, you're going to dry fire a hundred times holding at seven o'clock because what you thought was six o'clock was 5 o'clock. And that's why you're putting that differential pressure on the rifle and it was hopping. And so the ones that have that, those three things all together, being straight behind the gun, straight back on the trigger, and actually holding straight 6 o'clock into your person, that gets rid of where you see people go through that recoil process real easy.
0: Well, when we do the same thing with the canting people who their bipod's not tight, you'll get a heavy-headed guy who pushes through his bipod, Mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, put his bipod at 1230 because he's going to push it straight with his heavy head. Yeah, and and eliminate the cant and the cant. You eliminate it from the bipod. The idiot light doesn't fix it. It just tells you you got an issue, you know. <laughs> and and so we see that all the time. If I lefties especially, yeah. I'll get a heavy headed lefty. Yeah, and you bring them inboard eleven thirty or so, and um, that way there they'll push straight. But yeah, there's a whole bunch of little things because our bodies aren't square. Yeah. you know. So mm-hmm. what do you about?
2: got? Well, I I just like I want to. Have you guys keep talking about this a little bit more because I think that what what I hear is what we think we're doing isn't necessarily what what we're doing. We want yeah, they can't to see to it. Do. You yeah. can't see it. And and I think we do that in life, right? Mm-hmm. You say, um, oh, uh, some some uh, kids from Belarus were trying to teach Russian words to my kids, and they're you know they're like, how do you say thank you? They say spasiba, and, and the kids are like, oh, pasiba. And they're like, no, that's what I said. <laughs> pasiba. It's pasiba. No. And, and and they kept correcting him over. That's what I said. No, it's not what you said. And and, and they don't hear the difference till they do. And they go, okay, that's it. And they're like, oh, all right. Or 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 like Mandarin, right? Like the funny thing is like ma. Like how many ma's are there? Well, no, you said the wrong ma. Like that's not <laughs> that's not what you said. Like, um, but you think, well, I just said ma. Like, well, ma and ma and ma. Like Mm -hmm, it -hmm. it makes a difference. And so if you say, well, yeah, I pulled the trigger back. Like I did it. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you know, you're going to
0: hand, yeah, you know, that they did it with their hand that they didn't do with their trigger finger. Right. right.
2: Oh yeah. I pressed it. Or, or when Mark was talking about it, like, Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, I, I got a good, uh, you know, I I pulled on the trigger. He's like, yeah, but you got to press on the trigger. And so that's how he thinks like you have to press it or you have to come back at 90 degrees. Perfect. But that, you know, if you draw circles again, if it's a shorter, a shorter arm of that circle, you have, you have less room. So the angle's going to be higher, even though you think proprioceptively. Well, even
0: like tr- Trigger Tech versus Timney, that Trigger Tech don't move. Mm-hmm. If you get somebody that tries to overdo a Trigger Tech just a little bit, you're pulling the gun off yep. because mm-hmm. the Trigger Tech just breaks. It's yep. done, and especially if they're a flat shoe, you're going to see them add extra pressure. They're going yeah, yeah, to the white the on white fingernail. They're going to white light on the up. fingernail, and you're going to see it because that Trigger Tech is just bang. And where if they have a little like sloppier trigger, the AIs, you mm-hmm. have that over travel and you right. have that safety valve and you don't see a white fingernail, you know? And so there's a lot of difference. Like, dude, you driving the shoe through the stock. You don't need to do that. Press, break, freeze. That's another
1: yeah. one too. It's like the, the, you know, you, you have all these chassis now. And so it's like, you'll see people like white knuckling. that. So, mm-hmm. as a, I know that it's called a grip. And whenever someone hears the word grip, you know, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Grip. I mean, Give a, you know a firm grip on your handshake and say man that doesn't help your accuracy at all she yeah, just called yeah. a hold you know hold a rifle into your shoulder pocket it's not going anywhere even if you're in positions it's not going anywhere
2: right so i i think like just i like to generalize a lot and i like specific numbers but generalizing a lot i think of you know you could have about an inch of error with trigger press if if you're really doing things wrong but or you could have none it's hard to have none it's probably Hard to have an inch, but you could probably have an inch of error at 100 yards with with a bad trigger press. But but they asked what you know what could we do at 100 yards or what could we do without access to long range to get better? And you mentioned dry fire. I think well, shit. You don't even need to shoot to work on your trigger press necessarily. But but some people do it wrong. If if you take a 25 pound rifle and put it on a game changer and put a, a quarter inch pasty on a wall and they're like, well my sight was on the pasty.
0: Yeah, I don't think you're
2: you're not you're not training and you're not going to see. You need a quarter inch dot. (laughs) All of that stuff. Like, what if you took a laser pointer and put a trigger on a small dowel and tried to do you know and and put a you know just a pen dot on the wall? Can you keep it there? It's going to be a different different thing. So when you guys are coaching like trigger press, let's say, what are some of the elements that people are like, yeah, I did that, and you're like, well, you didn't do that. Right. What are you seeing? Like, I heard because if if you're if you're using the external joint my hunch is that people are it's going to cause the rifle to go left mm-hmm. for a right-hand shooter so but that's going to be different than if somebody slaps it and if they slap it on the right then it's going to go right or if they grip and pull down it's going to go up or down based on their wrist or what kind of support they've got right. um, wh- what are some of the things that people could pay a little bit closer attention to if they were going to say do I have a good trigger press? How would they do that at home?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have kind of an answer to that. Okay. Um, I went up to um, Minnesota a couple years ago and did a rimfire class up there. And the guy, uh, Troy, he has this system called the DFAT system. Have you all talked about that at mm-hmm. all? Okay. We got but, one downstairs. Okay. Yeah. We we sell them in, at the pro shop. And it's like we ordered the entire kit. And I think we've had to reorder five or six times already because we're pushing it so hard. And it's exactly like what you were just saying. Do you put a pin dot, you know, on there? And he's got these landscape targets, you know, that are of different sizes. Eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. You can put it 12 feet away. And um, they get smaller and smaller as you get further out. So I was playing with it and everything else. And it was, when, in order to know if you're doing right with that trigger, probably the best thing to do is work off of a tripod on a seated or kneeling position. And whenever you go and you dry fire, watch and see what the reticle does. If the reticle jumps, Mm -hmm. you know you're screwing it up. And so it's it's something that you can do in that little that little hole of DFAT defat system And you
0: right. can mantis it with a DFAT, too. Oh, yeah. Put a mantis yeah. on and watch your watch your your uh lines there but yeah, that was my
1: Glock. Put yeah. that on there and just yeah, sit there yeah. and watch my phone and dry fire and dry. Cuz I've
0: even done that one of the first Roberts class I did to our 2 guys uh, Texas one Melon Creek they, they had the AR guy, and the guy was all over, and we, I put a mantis on and worked this trigger through the mantis mm-hmm. and cleaned that guy up. you know Within 30 minutes, he was yep. ready to go but um, for dry practice. But to get back to the 22 stuff and, and to go in that direction a little bit, when, you know, 400 yards, you're talking the scales, the 25% scale, a 400-yard target with a 22 is looking at a, about a mile shot. So your elevation is almost equivalent to somebody shooting a six-five to a mile, you know. So what you're looking at at that 500 yard, 95 percent hit rate with a 22, you're looking at wind. A <laughs> wind,
1: dude. Uh, have you have you taken the twenty two to five hundred yet? Four. I've
0: never tried five. I've gone to four a couple times. I've
1: embarrassed myself trying to do it at, at five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've gone that's, to when four. I'm, that's when I'm like on a rock shooting across, you know, a valley mm-hmm. right up here in northern Colorado, and so it was just like oh, it was a mess, man. Let's, give me that. Give me that four hundred yard target again. I'm good on that
0: one. Yeah, and and, and you know, I I might be a, a a seven out of ten at four. Yeah. I might be a six. I don't know. I'm I'm in there somewhere, but it's one of those things where every single shot is the win call because oh, yeah. it's a 22. Yeah. You know, you're not going to group as well at 400 with the if there's winds. Um that bullet's just too light. Yeah. You know, you're not going to carry that far or that. You know, we saw one of the things talking about Ryan and his load again, that just that sub load he had uh one of the guys he brings onto the range. 65 Creedmoor load uh 153 burgers, but he's only going 2570. And it's grouping really well because the slowing down of the speed doesn't eat up that much of the BC because the bullet's so heavy where the twenty
2: does doesn't have the weight. Yeah, And he has a like an SD of one. An SD of, yeah.
0: Well, he even said when he did that one, he went to an NRL hunter and when they power factored him, his yeah. SD was zero and they wanted him to shoot some more rounds. And he was like, no, my SD zero, dude. Yeah. I shot the required number of rounds and that's my number. Yeah. <laughs> You yeah. know, so that's where they're going. But it was funny too, because Surge and those guys were here with the Able Company, and I asked Surge because he shoots so many NRL Hunter and he shoots all that. He's a match director in California. He's a twenty-eight fifty with SD of four, and he goes, "I want speed. Speed kills. Speed wins. Speeds everything." Roy Weatherby. And and he he says my SD's the same as Ryan's. So what's the penalty? And I go, well. The, the, it, I guess it's the 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 uh, amount of reloading you're doing or the the detail in your reloading because the guys that are going super slow feel that it's easier to reload super slow than it is to reload accurately fast. You know, so that becomes the question. But yeah, it's 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 all kind of ties in with the bullet, the weight, the speed, the distance.
2: Okay, so you mentioned Serge and and he's the wheels or he's yeah, the leg, leg man, man. right? Leg so, man but but wheels. I want to talk about George. We're talking about physical limitations. Mm -hmm. We're talking about 90-degree trigger press. Mm -hmm. No fingers, no legs. Both of of those, (laughs) and I look up to George as a marksman. Oh, God, so do I. So instantly when you ask the question, like, what makes a marksman? Is it any of this stuff? Like, it can't be because he is a marksman, but he's applying good fundamentals. Oh, yeah. He's fundamentally sound. He's psychologically I don't know if he's psychologically sound. But he's able to perform. He's able to perform He performs when he needs to. He, yeah, he yeah. performs when when he's being a marksman. When he's an RO, he's not sound. <laughs> no, I'm just joking, George. Um But but here we got a guy who who, you know, if you say take a standing shot, like yeah. he's gonna smile. Well I, like, I was
0: there when that happened. Your, your match, mm-hmm. the brawl in February, uh, year, a couple years back when I was there, you had a left hand uh, supported shot. Yeah, I did. And and he he came up and he shot it the other way, and the RO goes to him, "Hey, you got to shoot it left handed." And he picks up his left hand <laughs> and he has no fingers, <laughs> and he goes, "How would you like me to do that? I have no fingers on my left hand." You know, so right. there's there's a great example of mobility issues and things where he can't necessarily do what's being asked of him so he's got to do it his way but he's still going to execute the shot he's just not going to be able to execute it under jacob's rules
2: right but But if somebody paid him yeah
1: and so it's not a it's not a penalty and then that also that one that that stage that you were doing that was on top of the the, uh, the barrels i got yelled at you (laughs) Yeah, and it was kind of like one of those things, all right, well, let's just modify the stage a little bit. And so they modified the stage. Well, the so funny. So
0: I, I walked up to the stage and I said to whoever your RO was, nice guy, I don't remember who he was, but I walked up, I said, hey, before I shoot this, because you had a barrel on the ground for George and then the um, the tank tread guy, I don't know his name either, the, the one in the wheelchair with the tank treads.
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of those. Yeah, so
0: things, I don't know his name. Anyway, yeah. there was two people in wheelchairs and... They had a barrel on the ground for them. Mm-hmm. But then there was a barrel in a wagon for other people, and you had to shoot off the barrel. So I walked up to it, and I said to the guy, I said, hey, I'm going to go up on top, and um, I just want to see where my scope is and the height and how high the barrel was. And it was a little high. I could have tippy-toed it. And I just went, now nah, I'm going to shoot down on the barrel. And somebody saw me shoot on the ground barrel and went to Jacob and told on me. <laughs> Yeah, you, you got in a lot of trouble for that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, I think you almost kicked him off the range <laughs> for being a tattletale. Yeah, well, uh, it is what it is. So. Yeah, no, but it, in a game, but like the 22, I mean, if you look at a 200-yard shot, your data is the same almost as a 1,000-yard shot. So there's a 25% scale depending on how you zero it and what you're doing. It's the, really... To me, it's the wind. It's so much wind. You really want to start working those wind calls and start looking at, even like to the degree Chris does with wind, with finding the boil, and then (laughs) looking at it and seeing where the variations are, what the ebb and flows are doing. It just made me think of one thing. You remember that hurricane that was coming
1: in down there, and I tied all my shit off up on the tower? Yes. (laughs) Because I wanted to get data for 80-mile-an-hour crosswind. I think with a 22, if I could just go out there on a normal day, 28, 30 miles an hour, it would be the same thing. Same thing, yeah. exactly.
0: And, and, and so, to me, that's where, like, Chris would come in with his win strategies because he has probably the best and most detailed win strategies I've seen in a long time. But
2: So, I think we got Trigger. Hopefully, they have some techniques for that. Another thing that, that actually, because I'm just kind of kicking in season two, I'm taking a break from podcasting. People have been saying like, "Oh, I heard this, or I saw this." NPA came up, mm-hmm. and everybody has kind of different ways of explaining NPA. But but NPA has a, a profound. Infl- In fact, like if if I if I would say like trigger can add an inch, NPA could probably add two or more inches if you get it wrong. And it and sometimes it's hard to know using the stuff that people use. If it if if you have good NPA until you shoot and you see the bullet, you believe the bullet, and you go shit, something was wrong. I felt like I had a good trigger press, which may or may not be true. Felt like I had a good sight picture, which may or may not be true. May have shot my respiratory pause, which may or may not be true. NPA can be tricky to know, and I have some thoughts about um some easy tests, but but how do you guys feel about um NPA? For example, um I you know one. I always think about like these moments, you know. And there's a there's a story about you, Jacob, of um, you know taking Bill a standing Davison, off, off yeah. Pitch, yeah. offhand and shot, and and you um, just made sure that you had good MPA, and you went through a process, and and, and maybe he you can kind of walk limit. yourself, yeah. Maybe so. But but I think that's a that's a really good story for people to hear that you're a marksman, you were a marksman then, and you knew what you needed to do to solve a problem, and for you. I think to if I was going to speak for you you knew NPA was going to be so important that you took the time to make sure that that was satisfied more than the other stuff which was important but you could solve that very quickly mm-hmm. why what how and and like what you know what, tell us what was going through your mind and what, why you think that's so important
1: on 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 that part, you want that particular story or just
0: yeah, yeah, yeah that's the best any story, story the but
2: I think that that yeah. because you were I think what that shows is you took extra time to make sure your NPA was good, where most people would be like, bah. you know, as soon as they get a say, they're like, my NPA is great, yeah. and they shoot and miss. But you took the time, shot and hit, but you had the experience to know, I got to do this. Yeah. And yeah, I'm I not going to sacrifice it. I did it
1: for one single reason, and that was bragging rights. That was it.
2: But that, that's <laughs> totally money. fine. There was money involved.
1: <laughs> there was money involved, too, but the money didn't matter. No, 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 not never, but yeah, I get it. Now, well, the thing that we—I was up there halfway taking that class, halfway helping him with the class—and is you know, at TAC Pro in Central Texas, great, great facility up there. Any rate, uh, I think it was a Wednesday, a full five-day class. But at the end of the day, we were shooting, we were shooting at a thousand yards, and I was hitting pretty good. And um, so Bill comes up and he says, "Hey man, I'll bet you thirty bucks that you can't hit that target from the seated position." And this is. This is the late '90s, and I spent like '94 through '96 just doing. Dude, sling. you were having
0: sex with that rifle.
1: Uh, well, yeah, there's that too. But at any rate, I knew that I could hit this, you know, slung up because it, you know, it was a pretty generous sized target. So I shot it and I hit it. But you know, I checked my natural point of angle on that one too. But it's, I mean, I knew that that was. I mean, I've been practicing sling supported for quite a while. So at any rate, I double or nothing from the standing, and I said, okay, let's let's make sure we get this right. I said, um. I get one shot at a thousand from the standing. If I hit it, I get sixty bucks, and if I miss it, we're square. And he says, "Yes, that's what double or nothing means, dumbass." I said, "Okay, very good." <laughs> I said, "So that's all the bet?" He said, "Yeah." So I just basically shoot an accuracy international. I, I was was the weight of that gun back then in the nineties. Probably. probably
0: fourteen years. Your one was pretty stripped down. <laughs> I bet you it was fourteen to fifteen. Yeah, probably fifteen. But,
1: yeah, that's before we started hanging shit all yeah, over. Yeah, you the didn't guns. have nothing on it. <laughs> no. And, and, and your, your Schmidt and Bender
0: wasn't big. Nah.
1: <clears throat> so, at any rate, I, I put it in my shoulder pocket, and I brought the gun up and brought it back down, just watching where the, where the reticle went on the target. And each time, I would adjust my feet a little bit more, you know, to where I was just, I was just refining the natural point of aim to where as soon as I brought it up, I would be able to pull the trigger because, you know, holding up a gun like that, you know, without, you know, using a shooting jacket and the slings that are tied into the shooting jackets, it's not really that easy and so after about 25 minutes of this, he says, you know, hey, man, it's, uh, this is the end of the day. It's Miller time. You know, it's time to go. And I said, you didn't give me a time limit, brother. And so, Shiner Bach there. <laughs> so after I brought it up and uh, the reticle went where I wanted it to go, 10 times, I closed the bolt, brought it up, pulled the trigger, looked at him and said, pay me. And then you heard, ding. So I, <laughs> I, I knew that I was going to hit that shot. After After taking nearly a half hour to check natural point of aim on it, if I would have missed it, That would have been the anomaly. You know what I mean? I mean, there was no way I was going to miss it. You know, no way. And so, again, if I had to go and do that right now, you know, I didn't have the skill for it then. I don't have the skill for that now, but natural point of aim does. Yeah. And so that's just the point when I said, okay, with this, I know, I knew on that day with the win we had, it was .3 to the right. So I just got to where that .3 to the right was the center of the target every time I pulled it up. When 10 times, I did it 10 times in a row and they all worked out. Close the bolt and go to work. But I didn't make that shot. I was present for that shot. Mm-hmm. Natural point of aim made that shot. And it, it, it sounds like I'm trying to say, okay, well, I made a standing yard, you know, 1,000-yard shot, uh, trying to look like I'm a badass. Actually, I'm saying the exact opposite. You know, I, I didn't have the skill then, didn't have, don't have the skill now, but natural point of aim does, and it worked out. And he even, he even sent me a... Well, that a was little, one of our things.
0: One of the best drills we would do, I love down there with rifles only, um, and we do it two variations. We do it late at night with the light yeah. and put a, a light on a target. Usually 300 yards. Yeah, or and then basically get the person in position. They get on the target, then close the light, shut the light off. Have them fire 30 seconds or so later. Do they maintain their natural point of aim? Are they fidgeting or moving? Or doing it with the scope cap and closing the scope cap yeah. on them.
1: We've also done it with a clipboard right in front yeah, of the scope. Yeah, block yep. the
0: view. And basically, and just to see how your MPA was set up and, and should it drill. I mean, it's, a, it's what we do with the tripod or the rifle on a tripod where I just kind of stand away from it and hit the trigger. It center punches those targets every time because yep. there's no influence. I'm just basically manipulating the trigger as gently as possible. Nothing else is touching it. The tripod holds it up, and I demo that the tripod, you know, were the problem, and, you know, I'm pointing the rifle at the center of the target, and almost every single time it hits center, Yeah, you know, it's just the rifle's pointed at it. I go and pop the trigger, and it, it works.
2: So, so what, how would you define natural point aim, and how, how do people figure out if they have it?
1: Okay, so like definition and then testing.
2: Sure, because I mean, if I, I think that going back to the initial question of what makes a marksman, mm-hmm. they have to understand that you know, given time good, and opportunity,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: Always time and opportunity. Always time and opportunity. So, so, so I ask it, that in my classes all the time. I say, hey, y'all, give me a definition of natural point of aim. And someone will go and they'll start talking. Not wrong, but they're just taking forever, you know, to get it out. It's, well, whenever you do this, when you close, I said, nah, that's a test of natural point of aim. I said, what is natural point of aim? and the way i define it is weapon pointed to the target body pointed to the weapon it's super simple you know and i can remember that but then if you go to a class and someone says all right get your natural point of aim well one you need to you need to communicate to them what is natural point of aim what's a good definition of natural point of aim and then two how can we how can we quantify if it is like testing and so i think you know most people know put the reticle where you want the bullet to go close your eyes go through a couple breathing cycles and then open them And if the reticle is where you left it, you've got a good natural point of aim. If it's not move your body in the rifle as one unit and get it back where it's going. So once you get that to where you can close your eyes for a couple of seconds and then open them and the reticles there, you got a good start, Mm -hmm. but that's just the gross test. The fine test is the simple dry fire because we've all, we've all dry fired our guns. And we've seen that reticle bounce, you know, in the, whenever you pull the trigger, maybe about an inch, you know, off the target. well, it can get frustrating if you're doing that with dry fire and it keeps bouncing. But what, what you're learning is the rifle's telling you where it's naturally aligned. Wherever it bounces to, mm-hmm. that's where it's naturally aligned. And so once you get it to where you can pull the trigger and the reticle doesn't move at all, what, what's your option then? Load a magazine, shoot the gun. That's one option. The other option is get up, kick the gun, go get some water, come back, rebuild it again so that you can get to where you don't have to test your natural point of aim all the time. You just go and spot check yourself every three months yeah. or so.
0: Well, we always, y- y- I'm sure you still do it. We do it too. It's like, okay, everybody dry, fire, get ready, get ready. Okay, going live. And then the guy gets up and reaches back. Yeah, and then it's and then, over. Yeah, yeah, it's like, well, dude, what did you just do? You just yeah. wrecked everything we just had you do for the last five minutes. And then it's like, okay, you should. And, and now we specifically give them a uh, a method to go from dry to live. And we're, and we're making them basically do three, three dries. Put the mag in, do your fourth dry, and then your fifth is live. So we're kind of giving them that process that they should be following just so we don't run into the case of, the, you know, a guy, dry fire, dry fire, dry fire. Oh, let me get my ears, which are three feet behind me. Right. Yeah, so you you know, so we're like definition. five minutes, we're dry firing, and then the guy stands up to go or reaches over to go grab something. So yeah. now we create a process for that. To your point
1: about natural point of aim, Um That way I explained it right there, it works really good in the prone. And so there's another methodology for testing your natural point of aim. And this is when you're doing alternate positions, um, barricades, tripods, things like that. But that is, you know, the the wobble that you get in your scope, Mm -hmm. right? If you sit there and you watch that wobble, and most people won't do this because it gets uncomfortable and they want to just get their shots off. And so what you need to do is you need to watch where the center of that wobble is mm-hmm. the center of the wobble is the center of your natural point of aim that's it and whenever we talked about how that whenever you're dry firing and the reticle like jumps about an inch well the same thing is going to happen whenever you're shooting alternate positions if all of my air is on the right side of the target then my natural point of aim is to the right side of the target if i have equal air in the wobble all the way around i'm going to just get to the bottom of my breathing cycle and that's where I'm supposed to press the trigger so I don't get any elevation issues. I'm going to get to the bottom of my breathing cycle, and I'm going to come back on the trigger even if I'm out away from the center from the wobble. Because if I'm very positive on my natural point of aim, it's going to click over there to the middle. Just like it clicks in dry fire, mm-hmm. the rifle's going to click to the center of, that, center of that target that you're looking at. But fortunately, after shooting alternates for so long and tripods for so long... The more that you do that, it's like you know, brushing your teeth with your right hand versus your left hand. You know, you're you get neural pathways yeah, in, your, yeah. in your head to where everything works, and so that wobble gets really, really small. And it's uh, there's an interesting story about that. Um, Regina Milkovich had gone and done a class up in Oklahoma. They were talking about this, and she says, "I don't have any wobble." And so everybody's got wobble. Well, I don't have any wobble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they put a trigger cam on there, and bitch ain't gotten a wobble.
0: Nope, <laughs> that's because she practices a lot. Mm-hmm. It happens. I mean, you know, that, that that's, that's, the, that's the methodology. It is repetitions. It's practice, but it's perfect practice. Yep. You can't just go and keep doing the same mistake over and over again. It's not going to get any better. And a lot of times that's where you need somebody to look at you and be like, ah, oh, you're doing that. Because we can't see it. It's so hard to tell. What do you got, Chris? You writing some more? Or-
2: yeah, so – um, this this plays into that and goes back to what what you said something and then something we were talking about yesterday or yes, what yesterday. day is it today yes yeah yesterday so you said like I didn't take the shot I was present for the shot and this is this goes to the psychological part but I've noticed and and I'm sure you guys have noticed and you just said you were there for the shot it was gonna hit no matter what Tom Cruise <laughs> what, what let's not get
1: carried away now
2: <laughs> like. Oftentimes, trying and focusing on something too hard causes bigger problems. Like, mm-hmm. let's say you say, "All right, shoot your best five-shot group." So they go one, two, three, four, and they're like, "Oh shit, yep, There's the one air. left."
0: Refrigerator group. Yeah. Yep, the refrigerator hypothesis.
2: <laughs> and then that they're like, "Oh, Usually I'm gonna, I'm we gonna say try it's the extra hard one, right?" It's right. The so <laughs> yeah. they weren't present for the first four, and then they realized this is badass. I'm gonna crush this, and then whoop an inch left or an inch right or what you know it's like oh what happened something happened in your mind so Mm -hmm. um what what do you have to say about that psychological disconnect between training where you're like you're going to work on this and then performing where if you work on it you're going to screw it up
0: yeah um It, it, it almost goes back to the mover that you shot, when oh, we shot was, the match. That was funny. So, we shot a match. <laughs> Great story, Great story. In, in At rifles only, but the cadre shot it too. It was sort of a funner one. Yeah, it was it one was, of the intermediate so matches. I was in it, Jacob's in it, and the whole thing. And at this time, Jacob's unbeatable in any match. He's going all over and beating everybody. And if he shows up to shoot, they know it's going to him. And Because it's not winning by small numbers like they do today. He's winning by big. But anyway, so... We had a stage with the mover, and it was um, like two red balloons and a green balloon, and you had to shoot the green balloon on the move. So first 12 people come up, and I'm in there, and, and, and I, everybody's inhaling the green balloon, no problem. Jacob comes up to me. He goes, Frank, watch this. He's like shooter 15 out of 75. He goes, watch this. He goes, I'm going to shoot the red balloon. And he goes, watch what everybody after me does. Sure as shit, he shoots the red balloon, and nobody after him for like 10 people can hit the green one. I know. Because they psychologically screwed themselves up because if he couldn't do it, they couldn't do it. Yep. And everybody before him hit the green 15, balloon. 15 out of 15. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and it's one of those things where, and, and like what Chris was saying yesterday, the no mind Tom Cruise thing. So we were playing around with handgun and red dots and you know, there's this like 15 and out versus seven and in with the red dot thing. And so we were thinking about our mindsets and plain target and we shoot a plain target and just come up and bop, bop, get the plain target. Well, then we put a dot on the target and it's like, shoot the little dot. And as soon as I come up and I do it three shots, I'm low left. I'm like, why the fuck am I low left? I haven't been low left all day. And then I went, nah, reset my head. And I said, I'm just shooting the middle of the plate now. I'm not shooting the red dot. Right. Hit the red dot, hit the red dot, hit the red dot. Call that thinking yourself down the toilet. Yes, I totally put my head into, I had to hit the red dot, dropped them low left three inches. But when I'm like, oh, uh," I hadn't been doing it all day, but I put myself into that mindset. And then I had to take myself back out. And then when I recorrected, pop, red dot, pop, red dot, pop, red dot. It's like, I'm not even looking at the red dot
1: yeah you know. a lot of that goes into like your your mental preparation like the you know growing up um i had already i'd already been at rifles only you know for a while and my, my dad knew that one of my bucket list animals was a tar and so you know he was he finally found a good deal we were going to go to new zealand and hunt together and so i you know talked to some people down there and stuff like that I says oh you could get a really far shot and you know I says okay so i'm up on the tower with a 300 wind mag doing two a days you know what i mean practicing uh moving targets in the wind and i was doing that like for eight weeks leading up to it I had to replace the barrel on the 300 wind because i burned one out but i was absolutely at the top of the training you know that you know i was yeah, top of the game right? i was peaked right there at that point and so then we get down there to new zealand and uh they drop us off in a helicopter and then we're we're walking along and we, ph says hey right over there so sure enough so we get behind a bush and i tap it with the laser and it's 600 so click 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 goes up but it's quartering towards me you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I tap him again, 500, click, 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 back. Then tap him again, 400, taking the dope off. You
0: are shooting him away, weren't you? No. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, because you had four clicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: No. Anyway, I'm, I'm bringing it down. Finally, I'm at my 100 yard, and I'm backing down the power, you know, because I had it on, like, 12 power. Now I'm backing down the power. And so then, finally, I stood up, made the shot, boom, took seven steps and put my hand on the animal. Now, had I not practiced, mm-hmm. it would have been – 920 yards in a 30 mile an hour wind. You know what I mean? Right, it, no tar for Jacob. Yeah, no tar for Jacob. <laughs> but it seems like you know that it's it goes into the it's weird how the the, the universe kind of rewards you, you know yes, what I mean? Yes. Whenever you put some effort into something. So I, that's why I like I like y'all's mindset on this.
2: Okay, so I'm gonna circle back to the what makes a marksman all the stuff we covered. Mm-hmm. A marksman's ability level. I, we can't, I mean, they're just, that's hard to quantify. But if you're good, you have less errors. Let's say, um, for example, um, but let's talk about like the 22 and center fire in different distances and why it's really important to understand where you should set, set your expectations. You know, you, you said like at a thousand yards, I was shooting at a big target. Well, big target for you is different than big target for someone else. Mm-hmm. And the rifle you're shooting determines a lot of those things. And so when I think about, if somebody says like, well, what what should I be able to do with a twenty two, or what should I be able to do with a centerfire? First, I want to see what the shooter error is, and then I want to see what their system error is, and then their environmental error. But but so I'm going to go back to centerfire, and and I might get ahead of myself, but hopefully you guys could grab something from this. If I have a six mile an hour gun, let's say sixty five Creedmoor, or BR, or whatever it is, like most of the competition centerfires are about a six mile an hour gun. At six hundred yards, one mile an hour variation is gonna add about a 10th of drift about, right? Most good shooters can usually bring in, like a good shooter, I think, they, they can read it to about three miles an hour. So if, if let's say you have a, a system that shoots, you know, like the rifle system, your ammo, your load, you did a perfect, you know, group tie, set, whatever, and at 600 yards, you can shoot a four, you know, it'll be a four inch group based on your 100 yard data. But let's say you read the wind to plus or minus three miles an hour that that four inch group is now five inches. Let's say you have some crazy factory ammo and the SD adds about an inch of vertical to that. Now you have a six inch group at, you know that that is what it's going to shoot. So at 100 yards so, so right so at 100 yards you have a, 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 a 0.75 group but at 600 yards it's not going to be 0.75 of 600 right? It's, it, it's going to be bigger because wind variability, because ammo SD, but that's still kind of system environmental. And then you have the shooter error. So if you take those circles that we were talking about and say, well, you add, let's say, um, you know, your fundamentals are, you're getting to the point where you add half an inch and your fundamentals are getting to the point where you add an inch. And my fundamentals are that I add two inches. Now we're saying, well, At six hundred yards with that center fire, Jacob is. If the target's six and a half inches, I'm gonna bet on you hitting it. If but if Frank's shooting at it, it needs to be seven inches to have the same hit percentage. Mm -hmm. And if I'm shooting at it, it has to be eight inches to have the same thing. So then, if you say, well, we're shooting one and a half MOA targets, well, that's a nine-inch target. We're all gonna have the same hit percentage. Mm -hmm. So. What you're using and, and and all of those abilities stack to, do you want a 95% hit probability? If we're shooting nine-inch targets at 600, yeah, we could do that. Oh, yeah. If we're shooting six-inch targets at 600, you're going to do that. Frank might do it depending on how many rounds we shoot. I'm not going to do it, you know, unless statistically, like, you know, I shoot... Three shots, you know, or four shots. Well, you're gonna so, have that dispersion inside. Right. Yeah, let's say, yeah. you'll have that dispersion right.
1: inside. Let's say let's say you, you are a seven inch shooter mm-hmm. at six hundred yards and we're shooting a six inch target. Right. In reality you're gonna hit more than you miss.
2: Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. But then let's say I'm and I'm gonna make up numbers because I don't know it, but let's say at you shoot your twenty-two and you can still shoot .75 at a hundred. The capability of a the bullet itself is such that at 600 yards the wind deflection is bigger so where we would get 1 inch with our center fire i'm going to guess we would get 9 inches with a rim fire so now if we're talking about what are what should our expectations be at 600 yards we mm-hmm. we're, we're going to need a 16 inch target mm-hmm. right uh and that's just bas- that's just the variables with you know and then and then you add the shooter to that so we're gonna need a, like a 16 to 20 inch plate. Can you do it with a rimfire? Yeah, but you're gonna need a bigger target. So you have to define yeah, levels of expectation. You're shooting a full-size Ipsych. If somebody, yeah. like yeah. Um, I, was, I was laughing, like somebody I recently met was like, have you seen that show Shooter? And I was like, no. So I've been watching some of the episodes of Shooter and they're like, he never misses. And it's like, well, if you put a person at a thousand yards, I don't care how good you are I'm, I'm I would probably stand out range and just be like I bet you won't hit me um with a you know shooting a 22 offhand at a thousand yards like man well, I'm not super concerned about being hit but if you got a 338 yeah you know I'm, I don't change. wanna I'm not gonna you know that that's not a bet I'm willing to take right but <laughs> so but anyway like the idea of oh well they never miss you could be a fucking badass but if if, if we have a six inch plate at 600 yards I don't think you're gonna hit it with a rim fire and that doesn't say anything about you as a marksman. Mm-hmm. That says you're testing the wrong things with the wrong system. Right. Right. So yeah, where, it's a good point where yeah. do systems go in. If you could hedge your bets, like, Hey, I'm going to hunt. And I know that there's a river. The closest I can get to this game path is 600 yards. I wouldn't suggest doing it with a 22. Right. In terms of being able to, I mean, obviously like you're not going to do that, but let's say, you know, I'm going to shoot something at 600 yards. You're probably going to miss. W- where do you set those limits of, you know, we're using the wrong things to test the wrong stuff here. Right. Um, because I think that some games exploit some of those things and people could be negative about it. Like um, I love all competition. If if I'm going to go to a PRS match, I'm not going to take a 10 pound rifle if I want to be competitive, I'm not going to take a 22 or or something like that. Because of the speed, because of the grace of wobble and stuff, you, you kind of play to those favorite. But you can't say, oh, well, you know, based on my performance with that, I'm going to go to Alaska and change the rifle, change the ammo, change the support and expect to have the same performance and you see that which is why people tend to stick to their niche of performance and often say well I could do that because look what I do here it's like well well then do this and and and, and so on and so forth but a marksman knows the difference and knows when to use what and mm-hmm. how to use what yeah. and and I wouldn't say like okay well if you're such a hot shot here's my 22 mm-hmm. like that's not that's not right, fair right and, right and that's not realistic to expect so so bringing it back to can you train a hundred yards yes can you can you have a certain expectation for hit percentage at 600 yards it depends on the rifle you're shooting right and the target that you're shooting at and and you need to know those and a marksman would mm-hmm. so um how do you pick up that and run <laughs>
1: yeah. well you were talking about okay we have a, a six inch target and we start to say okay If I am shooting a half inch at 100 yards, I should be shooting one inch at 200 yards. You know what I mean? It should just go out. But this is where the rifle gods give you the finger. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because if I'm shooting an inch at 100, I'm probably going to be shooting two and a half at 200, um, maybe three and three quarter. At three hundred, you see, it's going to get progressively. Yeah, right, bigger. it never goes one it, inch,
0: two inch, no. three inch, four. It's like and a lot of it
1: has to do with mm-hmm. the items you were just talking about, there, Chris. You know, you get you get these things, these compounding errors. You know the you know extreme spread from one bullet. And to And that's the next. been the
0: beauty of not talking MOA is nobody really goes one inch at hundreds, two at three. And They don't do that as much anymore no. because we don't talk MOA like that, right?
1: Yeah, but it's kind of like you know hunting. You know, I've I've taken animals beyond fifteen hundred. Uh, I. have two at eleven hundred and you know it's it's like on that day when I knew everything was gonna very solid rest. You know, I wouldn't have taken it if I thought I was gonna injure the animal. It was gonna be a for sure kill. Mm-hmm. But then I can go out and I can see a whitetail that's at three hundred and fifty yards and I'll say no because mm-hmm. all I have is a rickety mesquite branch. You know, the wind's thirty eight miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, I'm not trying to brag on myself or anything else, but I would I would decline that shot. You know, I would decline that shot, even though it's very very close and everything else. But there's just too many of those things stacked against you. Right. And I think being able to recognize that is another thing too. No, knowing what you can do with the rifle, I think, is very very important. But knowing what you can't do as well yeah. is yes. is something that a lot of people don't look at that. And I know that we, you know the I, I just had Chase Stroud on my podcast the other day, and you know they're shooting far, man. They're mm-hmm. turning. Turn bullets and all this other stuff. So, like, first round hit at 1,000 is almost 100% guaranteed for them. First round at 1,500 is almost you have to see them a mile now with yeah, them. Almost yeah, almost guaranteed. But we're not them. Right. You know what I mean? Because I even asked one of the podcasts that, or I think it was before the podcast, what is the monetary hit you take every time you pull the trigger? hmm. Is nine bucks. Right. Okay. I'm going to go practice with my 22. Yeah.
0: See what I mean? Well, I just had a guy come out. Uh, There's a conference in Denver, and a guy came out shooting uh, Tuesday or Wednesday night. We went out, and it was like, What do you want to do? And and we got the prairie dogs on the range, and he's yeah. like, I never killed a prairie dog because he's from Alaska. He's like, I never killed a prairie dog. I go, I got the mile you want. And he said, Yeah. So I brought 300 Norma, mm-hmm. and I bought my 6.5 Cree. So. He shot the three hundred Norma and got his impacts, and then he's like, you shoot. And I'm like, okay. And there was four rounds left in the box. I got three out of four hits Mm -hmm. with the Norma. Well, then we go over to the Prairie Dogs, and we're doing that. We changed guns. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like, okay, we're going to do the mile and put them on real fast, real easy. I brought the Norma. It's set up. It's ready to go. I mean, my group on the target's like three, five inches. Yeah. And his was strung vertically, but he probably had about a ten or twelve inch strung vertically hits, but it it's there. Yeah. And then you go to the prairie dogs, it's like we're we're between a hundred and three fifty on the dogs. Mm-hmm. Six five creeds perfect. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what we did. And and so it was knowing what the limitations are. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean I take it's funny, you've seen me do it. I come to the range, I come out, I open up the connexes, I go over, I bring out the stuff, I hit the tripods and put them out in the spotter and I look and at 930, there's a dog standing tall and proud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I shoot at him every single time I see him like that and I hit him pretty good. Yep. Yeah. You know, but And I'm shooting a prairie dog at 930. It's a prairie dog. It's a prairie dog. Right, right. <laughs> it's a prairie dog. And that's the thing is I know it's probably at that moment a 50-50 shot, it might be better than 50-50, but I'm taking it to hone my skills on a little bitty thing that that's, far away. That's not hunting, man. That's that's no, pest, I'm not hunting. That, that's pest control. Yeah, I'm not hunting. I'm yeah. not claiming I'm hunting. Yeah, that's I'm not prairie dogs.
2: But I guess like you <laughs> Best, know. If, yeah. if somebody says like, Oh man, I could shoot one MOA all day, like oh, if, I wanna I, I wanna part, see remember, the if I do my part. Well, Don't forget that yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but one MOA all day it, the the context, the distance, the system matters because you say, "Okay, great, I got an ipsic at fifteen hundred yards." Yeah. L- just you know, before you have shot anything, mm-hmm. it's eighteen. The by first 30. round of the day, yeah, yeah, yeah that, like, that counts. Like uh, you know, yeah, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you hit it first shot of the day. Yeah, I think I'm not gonna lose that much money if they're shooting a two two three. Yeah, yeah, right. Or if they're shooting even a you know a comp gun.
1: What for fifteen hundred yards?
2: 1,500 yards oh, yeah. on an IPSC, I don't see. think they're going to have a first-round impact, which would be the case if they shot one MOA all day. Right. Like, mm-hmm. awesome, man. Just the yeah. first shot of the day. Um, let me see it. Yeah. Now, I bet they could do it at 100 yards. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to bet that. But but yeah. but if but what it means is, great. There's an IPSC at 1,500. Do it. Yep. Now, if they come out with their AI 338 or, or 300 Norma, like, yeah, maybe... But um, even so, yeah, I'll it's, first it's round still, at 15 to give
0: me my norma. Yeah, it's it's still
1: a
2: percentage, though. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Right. You
1: have the compounding problems, yeah. you know, and shit that you don't see out there. Right, then, right. There's still some mystery in this, too. You know what I mean?
2: Oh, absolutely. I'm not saying that I can do it. I'm not saying that anybody could necessarily do that. I'm but not
0: going to say I could do it till I show up and put my finger up for the win. <laughs> well, I want to have one, you know, like at the workplace yeah. or the. Like, I know, you know I got like, the elevation. Yeah. I have the number that'll do it. Yeah. Now, whether or not the wind will cooperate with me to give me that first round hit at 1,500, but I know my elevation's good. Yeah. So that's. that's
2: it would cool. be a cool, like the first round of the day, you know, like the days since accidents at workplaces, yeah. like mm-hmm. it's been 200 days since a workplace accident have, you know, the number of days that, that you first since day. you had a first round miss yeah. on a defined size at a defined distance, you know, and at some point it's like, yeah, you, you know, you've, you've met that standard, but, yeah. but it's like, you know, a hundred days is probably a good yeah. kind of bench which would be hard to do, but, but um, well,
0: it, like for us, when we go to the range, we almost always jump straight to 600 mm-hmm. in the beginning. And then we start looking around. Now, it might be a variant of 600. We might do the 680, maybe the 620, or the 600 even. But it seems like for, I notice when we go out, we tend to, our first round of the day is right around six. Mm -hmm. And then we'll look at what we want to solve from there and then bounce out at different targets. But I know, I generally observe that we work in 600 and in a lot. You know, now we jump to eight quite a bit because we have a bigger lab at eight, and eight's a nice number too. But six and eight are kind of our sweet spots for practicing.
2: Yeah, and we have one hundred sixty degrees of wind, and I think that's nice because you say, okay, I got this one. Now I'm going to change angle forty five degrees and do the same distance. Like, if my wind call was right, it will carry. But if it's not, yes, what was what was I wrong about that? Even though I hit it, was it the angle or the speed? Right, right. right. We have
0: four targets that are within six hundred. Yards of something, 620, 680, 630, that are on, you know, 15, 45 degree. So we could shoot all the 600s and change the wind every
1: shot. Yeah, even when you go to a match at Rifles Only, you're you're going to make your money between 4 and 650. Yeah. That's just where it is.
2: So for you guys, because this is something I've been thinking about. I don't have a defined answer, but I would say – if you're gonna work on an element like wind for distance, I think it helps to shoot a distance around your gun number because then you can measure it in tenths yes. per mile an hour. I I personally am a little bit skeptical of wind practice with a twenty two if my goal is to shoot eight hundred yards with a center fire. Right. I do think that training fundamentals with a rimfire has huge benefits that would carry over to anything. But how do you, if, let's say you were going to, let's say you were going to design a course to develop like the ultimate well-rounded marksman. What rifle systems and what distances would you work on the components of fundamentals and marksmanship with those systems? I've
1: been shooting twenty twos a long time. Um, but we formalize that 22 Academy at rifles only. And so of course, in comes in all the high speed 22s, you know, those, mm-hmm. all the good ones. So I get out there at the voodoo and I've got a freaking Mark five loop hold on it and zeroed up and then just start dumping one round on top of the other, one round on top of the other. And I said, let me just screw up a fundamental a little bit. Let me just break, not at the bottom of my breathing cycle, but just before I get there and it was dramatic the difference was dramatic did it with trigger tap the trigger difference was dramatic i think that that 22 because of the fact that with our center fire we're shooting 2800 feet per second plus my 6 creedmore i'm shooting over 3000 feet per second that is coming out of that bore at 1000 or right around 1000 feet yeah, per second yeah 1050 yeah so bullet is staying inside the gun three times longer mhm with with the the rim fire. so if I want to go and really check and see what my fundamentals, like if if I'm still if I need to check and see what I need to work on, mm-hmm. I'd say rim fire hundred and twenty yards on paper. Yeah,
0: I, I would, Hunter, you were saying 120, I was going to say 150. Yeah. I was going to say to the guy who asked the question, he needs to nail 150 all day, every day, yeah. get his wind calls down, and then start working the five. Yeah. But I was going to say 150, 120, same thing. Yeah. Uh, right in there. I'm uh, just thinking
1: 120 because I didn't want to walk that
0: extra 30 yeah, yards. Yeah, yeah, I card. get it. <laughs> and I just figured 150 was a round yeah. number. But yeah. I was I was crunching numbers in my head and my number was 150. Yeah. So that's where I was thinking. And I was almost, with Chris's, uh, with the 22, I'd almost want to scale it and say, what's my equivalent 800 shot, that 120, 150 zone? What's the wind drift for that? And know my numbers and almost have something that's measurable and scalable, like he's saying. Mm -hmm. You know, we like to do it in a gun number range where we can actually match the numbers up. So if you did the same thing with the 22, where if you found your numbers and you did it at 150, 120 in there, and then you knew what that drift factor was supposed to be for your miles per hour, I think you could totally practice yourself into a 95% hit rate at 150 and then try to scale that out to your 500. Yeah. You know? Weaponized math, but sideways. Yes. Yeah, sideways for sure.
2: Cool. And we're, then... Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, no, we're I fine. mean We could do, talk for... Yeah, we can, can go for another 15. We're good. Uh, we got plenty. I think... Um, so so 22's fundamentals inside of 150 people um i get asked a lot by rimfire people about the craft and i think there's misconceptions about like the the craft drill for analysis and they say well with 22s at 100 yards i am shooting 2 inches i say that's awesome like mm-hmm. um they're like no 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 but their expectation is i want to get it in the orange diamond it's like dude that's not the idea and, and they're asking like well you know, it's it's a one-hole gun at 25 yards. Should I do it at 25 yards? No. You want to do it at a distance where you can read the group and it needs to be open to read fundamental errors. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the goal is not to shoot one hole. Right. If we were if that was the point, I would put the target at 5 yards. Right. The point is
1: find out where you're weak.
2: If you're shooting one hole at 100 yards, you need to do it at 200. Right. If you're shooting one hole at 25 yards, you need to do it at 75. You need to do it at a point where you, it's not a ragged hole. It opens up so you could say, okay, you're doing something occasionally to make it go left. Yeah. Well, if you can't see that it went left of the group, so it has to be at a distance where you could tell, gosh, you're doing something every once in a while where some shots go left. You're doing something every once in a while where shots go high. You're doing something every once in a while where a shot goes here. It has nothing to do with distance or the size of the group, it has to do with detecting repeatable errors that you could then work on to take out um but but i think that that mindset of you know it has to be one hole all the time is is it misleads a lot of people and it causes expectations to be unrealistic mm-hmm. right just like um i'm gonna go back to the shooter thing they they'd like tied this dude up to a tree at a mile and the dude you know the guy shot his first round it was like by his feet and i was like dang that was a good win call mm-hmm. but but he's like you never miss like you had to be, you know, you did. You threw that on purpose, like the fuck, like, dude. They, it was a mile, a mile, like, and a dude sitting down on a tree, like, tied up to a tree. Expectations have to be realistic, and the only way to have realistic expectations is that ex- experts like you guys saying these are these ideas are wrong, these concepts are wrong. Um, think about it this way. Right, And for the craft stuff, I think about it as you want to see the errors that you do so you can fix them. Mm-hmm. If, if somebody has a bad trigger press, but they have a 30-pound gun, you won't see it. Yeah. So is that good? Like you, I, I think what you want to do is find a system that you can see where you're screwing up, not find a system that hides everything that you're doing wrong because right. you're not getting better right so so how would you tell people to frame their mindset and their expectations and and their goals to kind of this growth lifer process because you guys have been you guys are lifers right you're you're mm-hmm. the you're yeah. the you're the people that everyone is going to go to and look to for advice based on decades of training to say what are pitfalls that people fall into that they that would help to hear from you guys like you know what? It's okay. You're a marksman if you shoot off a bench. Look for this stuff to grow, mm-hmm. and and what are those things that that are, are are the constant traps? I mean, social media is a constant trap of, wait a minute. I heard I should be able to do this. Like, well, I don't I don't know about that. What would you tell somebody like um, that might be struggling with trying to create their identity and their expectations? How would you tell them? This isn't realistic, or this is a trick. But if you really want to get good, here are some things that I would be like: Wow, they're good at what they do, um, or they have good fundamentals, or good trigger press, or they're good. Wow, what would you know? If you saw somebody shoot, what would you be looking for to be like they're a marksman?
0: It's hard to say. I mean, okay. I'm looking at the process. <laughs> it is the shot process, really. It's it's basically from the moment they walk up a foot behind their mat. To the they get down on the gun if they're shooting prone or or addressing a tripod or whatever. But I look at their their body, um, the way they hold their body from the moment they're a foot behind the rifle till they get on and the shots executed. So I'm looking at that. But um, yeah, I mean w- without them, you know, knowing them, that would be my only indicators. If I'm sitting across a, a a range, and I see a guy walk up to his mat. And then he lays down and addresses the rifle and then it gets on and it gets his first shot off. That's going to tell me a lot. But it's hard to basically put it into something like radio. <laughs> uh, the
1: same thing. Mm-hmm. Pretty much the same thing. But, and I don't think that this is, I mean, it's, it's almost, it could almost be called a confidence. You know what I mean? Like a, a confidence that you see. And it's, if you, like what Frank's saying, you're a foot behind your mat, you know, you go, you address that rifle and you make your shot. If it, if it looks as easy as it looks, whenever you reach down and pick up that ballpoint pen and start to write, yeah, that's it. it. That's it. You know, if there's, if there's any sort of like, um, it's not even a fidget and they're not doing anything wrong. Right. There's nothing wrong here. They're not doing anything wrong. It's just, uh,
0: you could see the second guess it's yeah, hard to say yeah. it but you could see yeah, it
1: yeah you can see it and sometimes it might not even be a second guess it's just like and it's like the especially like whenever we're doing you know we do the competitions at the end of the matches mm-hmm. and, and at the end of the classes and then we do the, the other competition it's like if you it, it's like when you see someone go and they're addressing how they're going to shoot it's almost it, there's almost not a word to describe it yeah but it's like um just like a confidence it's like this is there's it's like they're going slow, but then you look at the clock and they're not, you know what I mean? No time is passing, but they look like they're working in slow motion. You know, it's, it's like economy of motion. Every, uh, there's no word to describe mm-hmm.
0: it. Well, it, it, it comes up, it, it came up yesterday. So we were watching uh, one of the Rockies. And that second one, the second one. And so Rocky's in the ring and he's like, oh man, you know, uh, uh, Apollo's here. And, and Mickey's like, well, who'd you think was going to, and he's like, I hope he didn't show, you know. But Apollo comes in, no fanfare, no messing around. He's there for business. And the announcer says, Rocky doesn't look as confident. And They're able to see that from the boxers. Like, they're sizing people up. It's the size up before a fight. And it's like, who has that little bit of confidence? Who's being, like, who's trying to hide it? Mm -hmm. Who really has it? And what are they doing with it? And that's kind of what we're seeing in a way. It's like, does he have it? Is he pretending to have it? Or is he just a mess? Yeah. And it's
1: like, you know, saying we can't put a word to it, but it's so completely... Obvious, you know what I mean. It's just like you can just look at them and you can tell. All right, that one.
0: Yeah, I I, I, I can see it twenty slots down. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And 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 we. I look at weird stuff, you know. I, I I look at like I said in the recoil management world. I'm looking at weird things sometimes, and I'm 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 using what's around me to index parts of the rifle or the person on something. And it's like, okay, I got that guy indexed right there. And I'm looking across a room or a range rather, and I'm not with that person, but I'm watching them. And it's like, I'm indexing parts of his body and his rifle on objects behind them. So I can see the distance and the movement of the rifle system. I'm like, how does it move? And I want to see how it moves. And, and that's what I'm looking at. But it, it, I don't have an, a name for it.
1: Yeah, well, you came along and you started the rifle crafting. You know, I met you first time, is at rifles only? And you went down there, and you won the match. It's like, all right, this is cool. And then the next thing you know, you came with the rifle craft. Hats off to you, because this discipline needed that kick in the ass. Because everybody thought that, well, well I'm a half-M away shooter. Yes. You know what I mean? And then you go, and you actually put that to the test. And it turns out you're not. You're a three-minute shooter.
0: It, the industry really needs to change. Yep. If anybody's going to say, I'm an X shooter they yep. need to be doing the craft they drill. They need to be doing the craft. If I mean, you're not doing the craft drill, you cannot claim to be any X, Y, or Z shooter. You are nothing until you've done the craft drill and quantified it.
1: Well, the, the first time I saw it, I, I literally backed up from my computer and I said, fucking genius. Yep. <laughs> fucking genius.
0: Yeah. Super good. All right, we're like an hour and a half in, man. We're pretty good. So um let's just like what do you got wrap up? If you want. And yeah. Um what do you got going on? Well, we're uh whew.
1: I just put 20 new classes up, (laughs) 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 but I'm uh, I'm up here for, with, with your area because we're, we're modifying the, uh, we're modifying the facility that we use Mm -hmm. out in Fort Collins for our summer classes out there. So check on that, Uh, go in and take a look at the, at the rifles only website. We've got a new, uh, a new item that we have to help protect your suppressor when it's not going to when it's not in use and it's going to work in conjunction with your normal suppressor cover or anyone's suppressor cover for that matter. Nice. Or if you don't even use a suppressor cover, it's going to give you a little bit more protection towards the the muzzle end of it. Some people had asked for that product. So we've got that in development right now. It should be Excellent. coming out pretty soon. Nylon's always needed. Yeah. Nylon's good. And then, uh, you know, just uh, the classes that we have going on, check out the rim fire. I, I did the classes through the fall. I had some, Contract work I had to take care of, and so that's why I was only now able to get in. I want to put in as many of these civilians as I can. But normally what I'm doing is I'm coming in and I'm working for I'm working a weekend, whether it be a PR1 and a PR1 and then a PR one and two during the week, and then maybe a rim fire the following weekend. So if someone wants to come in and stay you know from Monday through Monday or uh, Friday through Monday, uh, with a whole week in there, they could come in and shoot some different disciplines or, you know, do some more of that. Plus, we still have the mover clinics going on, you know, the alternate positions clinics going on, yep. the,
0: the rim fires going on. But, uh, yeah,
1: bought a new shotgun.
0: Nice. <laughs> I just got a 6.5 PRC that showed up. Um, oh, that's nice. Yeah, nice little Hunter one, a uh, light yeah. uh, Zeus, uh, Apollo, uh, rather Apollo light with a Bartland carbon fiber. Oh, yeah. And then a Hunt 26 stock would be a nice little. Uh, there's
1: one more thing. Um Rifles only is not a open range. We don't we don't allow you to have ships there and you can't show up. But during this time of year now, uh, people are prepping for deer season. Mm-hmm. And so what we're doing is we're uh, doing blocks of time, 30 minutes, an hour, or two hours. Oh, nice. And yeah. so 30 minutes would just be, okay, let's… Hunter zeroes. Yeah, and- you'll get your zero on, we'll get your scope straight, you know, do all this other stuff. Go for an hour… Do a little bit more fundamentals. Maybe shoot to 200 yards if we, you know, want to do the two hours. You know, we'll get out to 500 yards with your hunting rifle and stuff like that. But it's it's all supervised and it's all yep. priced, um, yeah. very reasonable. So that one you know, day so, show
0: up, drop a buck down, yeah, good, yeah. yeah. And then you can walk out and make
1: sure that you can hit that whitetail with your 300 wind Mag because you damn sure don't want that 70 pound animal to get pissed <laughs> off at you and come kill
0: you. So sure <laughs> you grim fire, yeah. <laughs> um, uh yeah, Sniper Side is cruising. The app is in the App Store and the Play Store and all that. I just talked with the um web team. We're going to be expanding out the Gravity Ballistics weaponized math is getting transferred into Gravity Ballistics and I'm going to be doing an app and a lot of things with Gravity Ballistics and that's happening. Update on Mark since I'm messing a weaponized math many of you heard Mark had a little bit of an issue. Um, he's looks like he's out of the woods and he's going to be recovering. I'm not going to say a whole lot cause it wasn't good, but he is, he, he, he's going to be out of it. Okay. I hope. And everything's uh, looking better. He's recovering. So, uh, thanks for the guys who reached out about Mark. Uh, but he, yeah, he, 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 was in a scary spot for a little while there. And, um, Chris got the rifle craft stuff. We're doing classes. There is a September class on the calendar if somebody wants to come out with the RifleCraft stuff. um, RifleCraft USA, the assessment. And then we're going to probably be putting an October in. And if the weather's good, we'll do a November. But we're getting ready to gear up sort of the Sniper's Hide RifleCraft Colorado block of things for 2024. Uh, We'll be working Chris and I together. Uh, I think Mark's gonna be out for about a year I'm not hundred percent sure but he, he's gonna be uh, laid up for quite a bit recovering so we'll probably transition to some of those classes uh to Colorado so sniper hide online train or not the online training but the training announcements you could find all kinds of classes in the training announcements. Uh, we have a boatload of them Chris thank your sponsors or whoever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: I'm, I'm I, after I leave here, I'm going to go to the guardian train up. I'm going to do the train up for them. Oh, guardians uh, tomorrow, this weekend in
0: Colorado. Yeah. Chris which is,
2: is doing that. which is awesome. And then other than the coaching and the stuff at the, the, the range, I, I our, the facility out of Fort Morgan gets better on a weekly basis. And it's I, I think
0: amazing like, right now. Yeah, yeah. I think
2: like if, 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 if you're like, well, I don't, you know, Fort Morgan seems like a big flat place. It is. Um But, We've got targets at 160 degrees from pistol distance to beyond a mile, and in all directions and distances. So every platform, I mean, it's, yeah, it's we a really just, cool. We laboratory. just got
0: what did Austin drop us off? Something like ten plus more targets. We just added. Uh, we cleaned up lanes. We added. Like I just did a new range card. The new range card is amazing. How many targets are out there? And the fan we have, like Chris says, it's 160 degrees. Um, And we go basically every fan goes from just about two, three hundred yards to a thousand and they vary their UKD a lot of the fans and then we have our KD goes to a mile and um, we're every hundred yards to actually every hundred yards to 1825. We don't use those for the PRSE type stuff, the comp stuff. But we do have that fan for comps, the barricades and all this stuff. It's pretty amazing.
2: And and they're double hangers, so we have big target, small targets. Big target,
0: small targets, huge target package.
2: But 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 I kept thinking like, wow, you know, all all of us teach classes based on the same stuff that was talked about in this episode. We look at fundamentals, we look Mm -hmm. at system capability, we look at hit percentage and 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 mindset and 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 all and I think that's cool because there's still room to grow and there's still awesome opportunities that people could take to whatever their interest is. And I think kind of being disciplined agnostic, we can we meet a lot of people that do a lot of things and mm-hmm. looking at it this way, you, you can show numbers, you can show happiness, you can show that mm-hmm. people are learning and psyched about all this stuff. And I, I think um, it's really cool to be involved with. Excellent, yeah, good shit.
0: Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks, everybody, for sticking with the hour and a half.
2: This was a really
0: knockout episode. This is going to be nice. Tell your friends about it. I have to do 10 more.